Look what we just put together. 1969 Dodge Polaro 500. Part beauty, part luxury, part performance. All excitement. Polaro is fronted by, well, insert your adjective of choice here, Ed Ackerson of 27 Various fame, studio mogul Jason Orris, of course, former Trip Shakespeare frontman and now Polaro's drummer Matt Wilson, and of course from Cicera and the Wahinis, the ever delightful and charming Miss Jennifer Jorgens. So now, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we give you Polaro. Welcome everyone, this is That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba. It's great having you all with me. We are here, I am in uh, Fort Lauderdale, we'll say Fort Lauderdale, it's actually Sunrise, Florida, and my guest I'm speaking to in lovely Nashville, Tennessee, where he currently resides. I'd like to welcome returning guest, Mr. John Strom. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much, it's so great to be back. Yes. Musician, lawyer, uh, like I said, currently residing in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. You know him from the Blake Babies, Antenna, the Lemonheads. But as uh, John, as you pointed out, that's not, you know, pointing out, like, at this point, who hasn't played in the Lemonheads? You know, like, half, half my guests have played in the Lemonheads. <laughs> so. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know. I was in, I was in uh, at least five different lineups in the Lemonheads. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you just you just do video, you random videos, and you see, oh yeah, John's playing drums or he's playing guitar. Oh yeah, there he is. <laughs> yeah, I left my left my stamp on that band. You did, but uh, and the most exciting thing right now, uh, Blake Babies, the uh, your album Sunburn, uh, 1990 album Sunburn, is being reissued on vinyl, right? Finally, we're at the point where um, people are sort of, uh, you know, revisiting that record in a meaningful way and and, uh, and noticing the, the, you know, the incredible fact that it sounds pretty contemporary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's true. Made with, you know, just trying to make something people would like. And, and uh, now it sounds like a lot of what we call indie music. So that's really cool when people are finally sort of acknowledging that. And I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And that's um, American Laundromat Records, uh, right? That's putting it out. Yeah, the incredibly great people at American Laundromat, Joe Spadaro is the, is the label head there. Very grateful for him because he's done all the legwork to get the licenses and just does a great job. So we're very fortunate to be in business with Joe Spadaro and American Laundromat. Yeah, and it's great. It, obviously, it must be really gratifying because I, I see on social media these people, you know, so many people coming out of the woodwork that they, oh, I love that album. I can't believe it. And that's great, you know, to see that 30 plus years down the road, you know, that people are appreciating. Wild and it's, and it's super cool. Yep. And uh, you can go to www.alr.com 
music.com and that's where you could uh order the vinyl pre-order i think the release date is like june right yeah that's okay that's fine you can go to uh like i said uh alr-music.com and you can get all the info all right so speaking of records that didn't you know uh you know over the over time over the test of time maybe you know uh didn't you know weren't paid attention to but should be paid attention to more what is the record you brought to talk about tonight i am uh talking today about the self-titled debut album by the band polera uh came out in 1995 on clean records which is a, a twin tone imprint uh from minneapolis minnesota yeah and when you first told me that i drew a blank but then, but then I sort of remembered you um, doing because. Um, all right, so the lead. Tell us the the main uh, the main artist uh, Polera was who was um, Ed Ackerson. It's really the the brainchild of, of the creative genius Ed Ackerson. And uh, in full disclosure, there's really no distance here. I was involved, very right. involved. <laughs> right. I was never actually literally in the band, but I, I worked on this record. I played something on every song on this record. I was wondering that. Good. I, I got a lot of questions for you because I got... All right, so before we go any further, I want to tell people, you know, I, I always buy the, the music that we're going to talk about, but I was happy to see that Bank... It's actually... When I can, I, I like to buy it from, like, Bank Camp or something because I figured that, you know, the most... Uh, the artists, or in this case, his, uh, his family, hopefully will get some of it. So uh, their music, all uh, Polera's music is available on Bandcamp at uh, polerampls.bandcamp.com. So I recommend doing that. So I did get the uh, get the album from there, from Bandcamp. But there's not much. It's really hard to find information because, as you also probably know, there's another band from uh, Brazil called uh, Polara. <laughs> yeah, well... Here, here's a little bit of the, the recent story is that Ed, who was one of my closest friends, I would say he was my very closest friend throughout the 90s and closest collaborator. He produced albums that, that I made and, and we worked together a lot. And sadly, he passed away in 2019. He had uh, pan- pancreatic cancer and uh, really spent- young. He was really young, right? Uh, he was he was I believe he was 55 when he passed away, maybe 54. He's the age I am now. He's right. two years old. And uh, he, you know, so when he died, and and as he was, he was, he was, uh, his health was failing. Uh, his his wife, uh, widow Ashley Ackerson, and I, and some friends, really kind of pulled together to get this record up on DSPs, you know, for for example, and to get a get you know vinyl pressed, so that we could begin the process of of um, you know really really spreading this music because. Uh, you know, it's it would have been his. I know that it was his greatest wish that his, his music would live on beyond his lifetime. And and in fact, one of the really incredibly exciting things I've gotten to do uh, in this, these strange times is right before the pandemic in February, Valentine's Day of 2020, uh, I went up to Minneapolis uh, for a memorial service for Ed at First Avenue, which was not only a club he played a lot, but was a place that actually employed him as a sound man. Uh, and and. I performed the, some of these songs from this album with the musicians that were on the album or his, his live band. And I was in Ed's shoes. I was singing and playing guitar in the band. And it was right, absolutely right. incredible experience. And we, you know, before Omicron, um, or Delta, I guess before the Delta wave, July right, of 21, right. 
when you could still, you know, there's a minute you could get on a plane and travel, and I went up to Minneapolis, and we did it again. So that's been my only live performing experience since uh, 2019. Right. And, uh, yeah, so uh, that's what I, re- when you'd mentioned the record, I remembered uh, that, that you had done that, and uh, and there's videos up there. And But, yeah, just digging into this record now this past week, man, this is a stone-cold badass record it's so good and once again that happens a lot you get these uh, records and you say why did why doesn't everyone know about this record <laughs> right well and that then that's that's something that i'm trying to fix and that's right that's right what, that's, well yeah <laughs> and and uh, gladly i mean even if even even if it wasn't on spotify i would have still done it let you do it but it's uh, i'm happy to see it is on spotify so anyone can check it out and like i said you can go to Bandcamp and get it um but yeah it's just so and you know, I we always go through this like why doesn't why does this band make it not and that's just how it is, right, John? I mean, that, that's just the way it is. You can't say, you know, I, I know some. I, I know you must know some people too, some musicians that maybe played back in the day and are bitter, kind of bitter now, like that some people made it and some didn't. But that's just how it goes, right? I mean, there's a million reasons why you know something. It's like luck and timing. But I feel like some people think like it, it, there's like some kind of zero something. Like if one band makes it, that means that your band couldn't make it, and that's not how it works, right? No, it's not how it works. And and you know, bit, people being bitter about uh, things they felt that they were entitled to that they didn't get in their life says everything you need to know about the person. You know, the sort of <laughs> right. mindset of the individual, and it's it's the thing that really turns me off most about people because. Yeah, I, I think about this in, in the context of my own career because when I was 30-ish and decided to, to change course and go back to school, I really felt that I'd failed. And uh, now when I think about all the things I got to do in music and the records I made and all the traveling and all the amazing people I got to work with, it's just, you know, it's a dream come true. And I got to do everything I set out to do and I feel incredibly grateful and fortunate even though I was not ever wildly successful. And I, I think it was the same way with Ed. Uh, he wasn't a bitter guy. He, he had a really interesting life and a great career. And the, the, the tragedy of his life is that he had really found happiness and he had a, a new family. His, his daughter was, was uh, I think she was either four or five years old when he passed away. Oh, so no, that's so heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking that he was an incredibly happy guy. But the whole way through, even though he... You know, we all had frustrations in our career. He was basically an incredibly positive, uh, very, you know, shown very brightly and uh, a great inspiration to me. And he, just like me, had absolutely no patience for people who felt entitled or bitter about the hand that they were dealt. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think it's really fair to say that Ed's career wasn't successful because, for one thing, he was incredibly uh, influential and revered in his community in Minneapolis. And then also he, he's a producer engineer and he worked on some, some really important records, uh, including the Jayhawks. He was the guy that recorded the most recent replacements recordings in the, in the knots. the Jayhawks. 
and there there are some big emo records he worked on and and i'm trying to remember the band from minneapolis that he worked with a lot there was a big emo band but he, he was a very successful producer engineer and and this record one thing that's really interesting is you think like oh you know this record's really obscure well when this record came out in 95 it, it triggered a, a bidding war uh among major labels right and he ended up signing uh, a huge record deal with Interscope. And uh, in fact, the guy that signed him was my former boss, Tom Wally. Tom and, Wally. Uh, I remember. You know what? Oh, God. I, I got to. I mean, Tom Wally at one point courted my band. Holy Terrors yeah. at one point. Yeah. He, he's an, he's an he's actor. He's a legend. <laughs> but he was he's the, the head of the frontline labels. And I was until right. recently head of Rounder and Concord Records. So Tom was, was my boss for, for years. Ah, OK. And. Tom was also the guy that signed Polera and it was a, a big enough deal for Ed and, and, you know, records and publishing to have enough money to buy this amazing building, uh, uptown Minneapolis that he, uh, that he built out as a recording studio, which became his livelihood. So, you know, oh, no okay, fame, nice. but yes, fortune basically. You yeah. Know, it was and then, and then also you like, he like made this one and I know this other stuff is uh, I listen to some of his other stuff and it's all great, but you make this one monumental record. That's an achievement right there. I don't care who, you know, how many it's sold or whatever. This is just like, it, it was so uh, there, there's so much going on on this record because it's sort of, uh, I feel like there's two layers to it because on the one hand, there's really great songs. He's a great songwriter, but then on the other hand, the production of it and all the stuff going on, which it, it could have easily been overdone, but it's not, I don't, I don't know how, you know, the crafting of it, they got the fine line to throwing all the stuff on it and still making it feel like it's not overdone or overproduced at all. Well, I mean, it's because he's a really good producer and has a great aesthetic about right, it. But right. There's a phrase I'm sure you've heard in, in, um, in music making, which is you, you serve the song. And right, right, right. It, yeah, this, this is, this for me, as a fan of Ed's music and as someone close to Ed's music, this album is his definitive statement. And I think he really felt the pressure of that because he was, you know, sort of pretty far into his 20s and, and hadn't had much success yet and really buckled down and made the best record he could. And, and I, I know that because we talked about it and talked about what he was doing. And I was present in the studio while this was being created and participating in it. And it was fun and there was levity to it, but there was this uh, sort of a sober, you know, sense that we are we are really trying now, you know? Yeah, this, yeah. Same dynamic as, as when we made Blake Baby Sunburn, you know. Okay, we have an opportunity now. Let's go. And so you can, you can hear that effort, you know. The, the production is very ambitious. And, you know, he came in with, with well-written songs. And, and he was sort of going through a, a life crisis at this point. You can kind of get that because some of these are breakup songs. He just left a relationship. He was, he was in pain uh, because of that. And... Funny story, as an aside, I, I was living in Bloomington, Indiana at this time in the in the first half of the 90s. I, I moved away in about 97. But I had this apartment, and uh, it was a bigger apartment than I needed, and I lived there by myself. And Ed broke up with his girlfriend, and he was distraught about it, so he just called me up and said, I'm coming down. And he slept on my couch for about two months. Oh, nice. And uh that's when he conceived of this record. You know, he was, he would sleep till about two o'clock in the afternoon every day. So I'd get up and get about, go about my day. You know, I'd be on the phone, I'd be making food and he would just be sacked out on the couch. 
and then and then he would uh it work well into the night so uh it was it was creative but he he was definitely very very aware that uh, you know, of the, of the sort of seriousness of the undertaking. And I think that that comes through. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the record. Let's start listening to it. Um, the first one counting downs got right away. It's got this crazy guitar, like this heavy guitar sound in it that, yeah, maybe you could, uh, you could shed a little light on that, but let's listen to the first track counting down. Okay, so John, real quick before anything else, just got a real because it was driving me crazy. I kept thinking that it, that it sounded uh, that that just sounded like something. The verses reminding me of something, and you know what it was? It's the national anthem by Radiohead. Uh, if you listen to the national anthem by Radiohead on Kid A, it's the na 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 na. It's like it's the same cadence and everything from it. So I don't well, know. Steve, it was first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It was first. And uh, Tom York, I'm I'm convinced because Tom York, you know, sought out all all sorts of shit. So. Uh, I'm, I, well, you know, there's no saying he didn't hear that. Ed was a big Radiohead fan, and uh, you know, so was I. I mean, every, we all were, of right, course. Right. Uh, everyone was was completely turned around by by uh, OK Computer, but uh, you know, we were fans before that. But Ed, his his background was as a kind of a '60s revivalist, and he had a band called The Dig that was really like a you know kind of modeled on uh, you know the you know, the sort of punk rock early who or the kinks or whatever. And then he had a band called 27 Various that was kind of a psychedelic thing. like a 60s revivalist when i met him right and uh then i think the record that really was transformative for him was was uh was loveless by my bloody valentine Obsessed with the, the shoegaze sound and just all of it. He was a 
voracious listener and fan and just absorber of music. And I think that a lot of what he was tr trying to accomplish with Polera was, you know, his own version of, of that approach to music, you know, that very experimental approach with pop songs at the core of it. But this song, so the first sound you hear is that kind of snaky loop, right? Yeah, yeah. That it runs throughout the whole song and it kind of informs the song in a way. So if you take that snaky loop out of there, it's a more conventional song. Right, and right. He had an idea for that loop, which he communicated to me. So I was in the studio. So the the basically the the understanding that we had in the studio was that I would do one thing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> drum, might be you know plucking a piece of guitar, it might be singing background vocal, but I would have my stamp on every track, and I would I would spend the entire day just sitting there. It was Ed and, and Matt Wilson from Trip Shakespeare is the drummer, and Jason Orris is the bass player, and it was in Jason's studio, the terrarium, and then Jennifer Jurgens, who eventually joined the band. Uh, you hear her singing sometimes, and she plays some keyboards, but uh, I would just hang out all day, and I would I would listen and, and decide what I thought it needed and then he gave me free reign to go and try it. So in this case he was he described the kind of loop he wanted and then I spent something like seven hours putting the loop together. So I made that loop. Uh. And I just had a I had a uh, electroharmonic 16 second delay and a bunch of other you know pedals and I just had a big long chain of pedals and I just sort of worked on it. I had I had it kind of in process all day until finally I felt it was ready. And at that point he just stuck a mic on it and recorded it and, and that's what you hear. Yeah, and you know it's great because like you said, if you strip that out, it's still like just a really good rock song. But when you something like that, that's what always impresses me. People who produce that that like know what they're doing in production, it's like to me, that's that's beyond my scope. Like, I wouldn't know. How would I know that that making that noise like that, you could attach it into the song and make the song something else? I mean, that's the, the that's uh, that's the true art of production, you know, and, uh, and it's, producing it's remarkable production for two reasons. One reason is that, you know, he had the idea in the first place and it's, you know, there's this experimental approach of let's take this out of the comfort zone you know, let's take this a little outside, but also that he would have enough trust in the people around him to delegate it, you know, right, say like, right, right. Here's my vision, go do it. And then he just sent me in there and, and uh, trust me to do but it. But that's and the other secret sauce. Cause you've got to have other open-minded people willing, because you could, I've, I mean, I, you probably had this experience when you were young, you go into these studios and the engineer is like, you can't do that. that, that that's going to uh, fuck the whole song up, you know, <laughs> fire that engineer, you know, I mean, exactly, exactly. I, I did have experiences in that early on and, right, right. Uh, you know, and, and, and I might've been guilty of that at certain times as a, as a, an engineer and producer, because I made records on my own and I had a process and, and uh, I wasn't always trusting of people interfering with my process where I knew it could get good results. I mean, part of the problem is sometimes you're working in a studio that's by the hour. You don't have that kind of luxury. Yep, exactly. But we were working very long days on, on Polera and uh, so there was a sense that we had plenty of time to experiment and that comes across. Oh yeah. All right. So now we get a total, the second song LA, you get a total gear shift in like uh, in sound and, and style. And uh, it's just still great though. Let's listen to it.
Uh, the obvious reference point for me is Swerve Driver. I'm thinking, oh, he, he was a fan of Swerve Driver, too, because I hear that there. And it's great. And the Swerve Driver is like one of my favorite shoegaze-type bands. I love it. And uh, you hear that same, uh, you know, vibe, that, that same kind of vibe. And that uh, I imagine he was he was into the Krautrock-type um, uh, thing, too, because he has that going on a lot, too, right? Right, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that... that I love about this track is that the melody is, is so kind of baroque, you know, the melody really moves. Yes. But yes. Then the riff is really kind of primal. And especially when you get later in the song, like the contribution that I made to this one was just, was just basically noise. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you know what? The, uh, the, uh, the record is so pleasing to listen to that on repeated listens, I realized, wow, there's a lot of noisy shit going on here too. But it's yeah. just done so well and, and uh, weaved into the songs that it's not, it, it never comes across as harsh. It just comes across as like a beautiful, it's a cliche, but kind of like a beautiful noise. Right. And, and one thing I like about this track is that it's a little out of time. It's not perfect. He has he has some kind of loops that are going that are a little out of time with yeah, the song. Yeah, it has that like throbbing, that, that, that throbbing feel to it. And it's a little disorienting, and I, I don't honestly know if he tried to get it perfectly in time and, and couldn't sync it up or not, but I, I know that with the kind of tools you have in the studio now, the ability to quantize and, and make everything perfect, that you can line it all up. And I think that's one of the things that that had, were Pro Tools and, and, you know, hard disk recording and, you know, editing in real time has, has maybe taken something away from the, the impact of recordings is that things do sound perfect and we expect them to right, right. And, and it's a little wonky that's good i mean certainly sword driver wasn't perfect it was kind of a mess yes right <laughs> a beautiful mess just, though right the same same idea yeah. and i hired a, a producer once uh, for, to produce the album i made called vela deluxe because of the way the sword driver record sounded i love those records so oh, i heard nice. on, i know uh, so great i i I like the sound, but it's not a perfect sound. It's a it's a it's a kind of a fucked up sound, but right. uh, pleasingly so. And uh, and very and also, uh, shoe you know, shoegaze had a style of lyrics too, because uh, the, the way it says "time to resolve the focus with resolve and let the feeling through," it sort of got the same feel. The lyrics have the same feel as the music, the way he's singing it. Right. Yeah, and one of the things that's unique about Sword Driver and and I think that Polara shares is that. It's shoegaze, but so much of shoegaze music is, you know, what you call the sort of dream pop, very atmospheric. Um, and and this is this is definitely rock music. You know, it's got moments where it's really kind of uh, heavy and aggressive, and and I think it really works for the song. So it's like it's definitely infected by the, you know, the aesthetic of the time of of you know the kind of heavy rock people were making. Right, right. Oh, yeah. And there's other some uh, later on the record. There's some things that were going on in the '90s that you couldn't escape that come up too as well. But uh, this next one, "Source of Light." Uh, do you know? Uh, so you uh, you probably know the there's a female vocals. Is it Jergens or is it? I also saw Lisa uh, Klipsik, uh mentioned in the credits. Yeah. yeah, like like there's a whole there's a whole chorus of uh, of Ed's ex girlfriends on this record. Ah, nice. <laughs> it's literally true. Uh, Jennifer. Um, actually was a member of the of the live band Polera. And when we played together in 2019 and again in 2021, uh, she was playing guitar and keyboards. Yeah, yeah. 
And she's and she, great. She's she's great. She's a, she's a great musician, uh, you know, with a great voice, very distinctive voice. And, you know, that became something that was very central to Polaris sound. But here, you know, she was, uh, yeah, literally, she's Ed's ex-girlfriend and, you know, local musician. And, and he just brought her in. I, I think just to sing this vocal, but there might be another. Thing. Okay, nice. All right. So let's listen to uh, Source of Life. A little later on, I'm going to play it underneath because there's a really sweeping bridge that comes in with this like piano flourish at the end of it that just sort of appears, and it, it, it's awesome. This, this is one of the real just killer pop songs in the record, I think, and, and uh, um, it just has a real majesty about it. The the the, the horn part, um, you know, incredible catch, incredibly catchy chorus. It's just yes. you know, this to me is just a great pop song. Now, is that Matt playing drums on this one? Matt, I think drums on everything except uh, there's one, maybe Squelch, maybe the next one I drummed on. Oh, okay, okay. Because you're, I mean, because he's a great drummer. You're a great drummer too, but he's a really great, he's a really great drummer. And the, the drumming on oh, this is outstanding. Let me tell you, the Wilson brothers are some of the most phenomenal musicians and songwriters ever. I mean, Trip Shakespeare is a... Uh, sadly overlooked band in terms of their cattle. Of course, Dan Wilson has had an incredibly, his brother has had an incredibly successful career with yeah. Superson- Semisonic, sorry, uh, you know, Closing Time. We all know that song. And he's yep. Riddell and with Adele, with Taylor Swift, with a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, mainstream pop artists, uh, the chicks, you know, on and on. He's, he's but the one. Uh, the one area where Matt has outshined him, though, Matt has been a guest on that record, Got Me High, and his brother has not as yet, so... How Matt's about that? Well, <laughs> I love that. Uh, Matt's drumming. I mean, I, I don't know what else he's done as a drummer, and and you know, of course, he was busy with other stuff, so he right, right, he commit and and uh, Peter Anderson, the guy that became the drummer in Polaris just after this, is also fantastic. Yeah, well, a- he's. I think he. Well, like you, uh, John, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I, I don't. I don't have jealousies or anything, but I do get mad at people like you that that can pretty much play anything, and that always bothers me. It's like just be good at one thing. You don't have to be good, <laughs> good at everything. Well, you, you don't know, know what it's going to need. You don't know what the song's going to need. You got to learn these things, you know. <laughs> All right, so Squelch, I have a question for you about Squelch because people in South Florida, when when we hear Squelch, we think of Rat Bastard because Rat Bastard had a band called the Laundry Room Squelchers. And to squelch would be, you if you wanted to squelch with Rat, that was just like make noise with Rat. You'd go up on stage and squelch and they called it Squelch. So I'm sure that's not, but it's ironic because this is like one of the noisiest song, uh, uh, songs on the record too. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, uh, you know, I've never thought about why he would have called this song squelch. And I'm, and I'm, I think that, that one thing that, that, and if, if memory serves is that he would, um, he would talk about when he wanted to ultra compress a sound, he would talk about squelching the sound. Right. Right. I don't know if that was a correct usage or not, but, um, <laughs> right. Oh, look, no, this is, it's actually, this is correct because this is the, um, uh, in Webster's dictionary, uh, it's an, an electronics, a circuit that suppresses the output of a radio receiver. Oh, okay. The there you go. <laughs> levels. So, there you go. so when he was squelching sound, that was actually, cause Ed is, is an, you know, was an electronics and engineering geek. You know, he knew so much stuff that I didn't know. And, uh, so, so yeah, I, I, assume that that's has something to do with the sonic quality of this because this song is more of just kind of like, a, it's like a, a jam, you know I mean? Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it is. But it's I great. Mean, it's, like I said, it's no, it's noisy, but it's, it's, it's kind of thrilling. It was one that I took me a couple of, uh, go through his listens to really appreciate it, but I really do now. Uh, well, it's kind of buried in this noise. There's just a really, really strong hook. That yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of Remember the 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 making of this. There's obviously there's a lot going on. There's a lot of tracks, overdubs, and everything. How was the mixing of it after? Was the mixing of it like long, lengthy process, or did he do a lot of pre, you know, uh, pre planning of how uh, all the sounds, different things were going to be? Well, the, look, the mixing was a surprise to me because I, you know, I didn't hear. I, I did. I went and did a bunch of work and hung out while I was making the record. And oh, I right, right. Record. <laughs> I went home, you know, and, and, uh, and then, you know, probably months passed. And then, and then I, I from probably got a CD in the mail. Like right. We used right. To, <laughs> and then, and then heard it for the first time, I would assume knowing how it works, that he was obsessive about it. And <laughs> okay. he, um, you know, see, soon after this, he had his own studio because he got all the, the money from, from this, you know, the, the huge record deal, this, this record generated. But at that time he didn't, so he was somewhat reliant on on his bandmate Jason Orris for studio time. But Jason was in the band, so right. I would assume that uh, you know once once uh, once the tracking was done, that Ed and Jason spent a, a, a tremendous amount of time down in that basement studio obsessively mixing it. Uh, so. Okay, so uh, luckily for you, you weren't in the band. You didn't have to worry about any of that bullshit. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. It, I, I was. I was trying to remember stuff about uh, the making sunburn for for uh, some interviews we were doing, and it was like what I remember about mixing is sitting in the TV lounge at <laughs> at the uh, at the mix studio, uh, Carriage right. House, Connecticut, and you know, and having conversations with people and you know, drinking beer and stuff. So yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I never had a lot of patience for mixing. Um, I eventually did become somebody that would mix tracks by myself, but I was never great at it. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. yeah. Great it, at it. A process, but, and, and also there wasn't a lot in the way I don't think of automation, you know, it was like, Oh, right. You know, right. Yeah. You had to be there. you sometimes remember you'd have to have like three people on the board and then everyone, uh, did you get your thing? Did you get your thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would have hands on the on the faders and exactly with the mix and have to do it in real time. Yep. All right. So uh, this next song, listening now, one of my favorites on the record, and John, one of my one of the best songs I've heard all year. I think I fucking love this song. Wow. It's such a it's such a, a earworm that sort of creeps into you, and and I would find myself just sort of singing it uh, to myself, and uh, yeah, it's just great. But let's listen to a little bit of listening. A, a real quick songwritery thing that I noticed that the song faded out right before, but the first, the chorus cuts itself short the first time, but then the second go around, he he adds this like alternate chord in the chorus that just like makes it soar, and it's so good. I, I just love it. That's that's a really strong song, and I'm interested in the story too. I'm interested in the lyric because he's sort of describing somebody's unraveling. Took a, yeah, it took a weekend to find you something desperate in your eyes, jabbering, wired, hopping around like a fly. That's great. Wonder who's listening now. Yeah, images, but it, there's so much going on musically there. You know, the organ with that that sort of. Uh, you know, majestic baseline. It just really works. It's, yeah, it's and a, I'm assuming the, the the horns are actually the Moog, like a Moog synth. Is that it? With the, that's doing the horns. I don't know if it's a Moog or not, but it's definitely synths. I, I, okay. I don't think. Right, right. <laughs> there's one real. Uh, I mean, I'm getting caught a horn part, a woodwind part, and uh, I think it's on Search Played of by Life. you. Played by you. <laughs> are you playing it? Play the flute, but uh, Ed, 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 his girlfriend uh, at the time he made the record was someone named Christy, and she played the flute. She was like, you know, 
played the flute in high there school. There is a flute in one song. I was wondering. Okay, so it is a real flute. I thought maybe it was another synth. <laughs> it's a source of light. No, that's a real flute. She trills the flute, and he oh, actually, nice. you know, he sort of like, you know, hauled her out and said, no, you're playing the flute. And I was there for it. You know, I put a mic in the flute and had her in the studio, and um, I don't think she'd played in many years. So, so it was awesome. like everybody's welcome you know right yeah and now we get a nice change of pace with like a finger pick acoustic uh with some just some dreamy like atmospheric uh like electronics underneath it uh by the way i had nothing to do with this track this was recorded later i think and okay top <laughs> it's still it's beautiful though let's listen to a little bit of top So really pretty, very melancholy, but and and now we see where the band gets its name because he mentions a white '69 Polara, which I don't even remember that car. I don't know. That was, I mean, I, I was around then, but I don't remember a Polara. Who was it made by? <laughs> I had to look it up. Well, that was fashionable back in those days. Do you remember Galaxy 500 was named after a car? Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> Is it a Dodge? Um, Oh, Dodge uh, Polera. I think you're right. I think I saw that uh, as well. Um, I think it was kind of a muscle car. Right. <laughs> um, it's a cool word. It is. And what do you know? Do you have any insight as to the cover? What's going on with the cover of the record? Because <laughs> I, th- I think it's just kind of a stock photo that they were manipulated. Oh, okay. Because I don't know, like like I was saying at the beginning, who knows why things may, you know, some bands make it, some don't. But I will say, I don't know if the name Polera is that great a band name, and I don't know if that cover is that great a cover, if I'm being totally honest. But I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. I think it was more just with, you know, the tale is old as time, right? A band gets signed by one guy at a label, and then that guy leaves, and then no one else gives a shit about them at the label. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't get in, at all involved in that. And I, I remember, you know, seeing the cover for the first time and thinking like, huh. Because Ed did have a good, he had a good graphic design sense, and I, I don't think it's a bad cover. Okay. And uh, I think some of the ones he did later were really cool. But this is, you know, like Ed was a uh, uh, last time I was I was on your show. We talked about the birds, you know, and he was a freak for the birds. He loved, you know, kind of the the hippie California. Oh, okay, stuff, okay, including the sort of late sixties, early seventies Grateful Dead and stuff, and. And he was really, really good at that kind of acoustic guitar playing. And it's really a showcase for that. And I remember at the time, because since then, partly inspired by Ed, I've learned how to 
be fairly proficient with finger picking. But at that point, I didn't really know how to do that. And oh, I okay. Just, I was wondering because yeah, I saw some I saw some video of you, John, playing solo fan. You were doing some pretty good finger picking there. So, but th- this was more recent. So yeah. Well, you know, this is a, a side, you know, sort of inside baseball stuff. But Ed and I have one thing in common, which which uh, quite a few guitar players I've met over the years have in common, which is he and I are both left-handed and play right-handed. Right. Okay. Well, I'm uh, I'm right there with you guys because I'm the same way. I do everything else left-handed, but play right-handed. But why aren't I as good a guitar player as either you guys, John? <laughs> well, it, it's it it's interesting because you, when you you know I I've been practicing guitar more lately. I've been I've been sort of leaning into guitar playing, and I took a, a bluegrass guitar course when when we were all locked down in our homes. You oh, know? nice. And I realized because I'd always thought that I was you know, there was kind of a limit to how fast I could play because of my right hand, because, you know, my left hand's doing all the work because, because of the way that my brain is oriented as a left-handed person. But right. in fact, I figured out that it's really my left hand that was lagging behind. And I had to, to actually sort of teach myself picking patterns and stuff. And it's, you know, I think it's incredibly for anyone listening who's a guitar player has had it sitting in the case for a while. I think it's really good for your mind as a, you know, a full adult middle-aged person or whatever to learn new stuff on guitar, you know, because it just opens up new. Uh, that's neural- so, you know, that's so true. And it's so funny you say that. Cause I have a uh, friend Javi that actually lives in Louisville and he, that's just what he's doing now. He's taking class. He's learning how to finger pit and take blueprint and, and, and he loves it. He's obsessed with it. And he said, that's basically what he said. It's like opening up this whole, you know, part of his mind. And it's just like, yeah, it's just, he said, it's incredible. So that's great. Yeah. Highly recommended. Right. Anyway, but it was always an inspiration for me as a guitar player. Cause you know, uh, you can, you can, anybody can have their opinion about who's playing they like better, but he was definitely always technically better than me. Okay. Um, all right. So now we get more, more f- uh, female backups and more of that uh, Krautrock feel that I was talking about uh, on this one, Avenue E. got that great washy guitar part when they go into the uh the chorus part yeah so this uh, and by the way that is also jennifer jurgen singing i couldn't remember okay okay (laughs) that's really a feature for her vocal right and and this was the most fun song to play live avenue e by the way e is ecstasy Ah, okay i was wondering (laughs) in a way um such a fun song to play you know just just uh you know just so so sort of 
vibey and you yeah know. It, it, it almost are, are you a fan of felt lawrence and felt because it sort of had a little feel of that to me in a way especially the way he was yeah, I know that music. yeah 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 I, I mean it's i think that he was thinking like this is this is something that's gonna you know get everyone on the dance floor you know there's kind of a little bit of you know kind of programming there there's a loop i think that loop is is for and this is something that i worked on too oh nice nice <laughs> that was kind of a theme in the record to have to have loops that kind of connected it all together but when we played this live uh jennifer was triggering that loop on a keyboard and uh okay. you know so that, that was really kind of ties the song together again you know kind of takes it out of being just like a you know like solid pop rock song to something that's a little yeah. bit more. I mean, sure. that's what's great. The the great thing is you could hear, obviously he was inspired by um, My Bloody Valentine and everything, but this record sounds nothing like Loveless, you know? I mean, as far as you could pick out little things and sounds, but the end product is something, you know, totally unique and original and from and from him. So that's what, the, you know, great people, they always say, what is it, great people steal. You know, some people borrow, but true uh, true artists steal. But um, <laughs> it's just, you know, he, he took whatever, what he, what he, what he liked and, it, you know, it became became his own thing you can definitely play spot the influence on this record but yeah yeah right right it's cool because he kind of had tropes before where he would fall back on you know his influence with on like small faces or the kinks or whatever right and you don't hear a lot of that with this record there's probably more if you just were to approach the songs in a different way with just with the songwriting but uh in terms of the uh approach to production it's i think it's it's very modern for something that was recorded you know 25 years ago or 27 years ago right and uh this next one maybe led zeppelin because i think the uh, flute i think here's the flute in anniversary six with some more pretty acoustic picking so let's listen to uh anniversary six John, maybe I'm projecting a little, but I feel like this is just what we were talking about earlier, bitter about people being bitter because he says, no, I'm not bitter. I've been fucked. No one can guarantee your luck. It's just hard to throw away. It's just so I feel like that's just what we were talking about. Well, I, look, I mean, I, I found this one uncomfortable at the time it came out because I was so close to Ed and his situation. And, oh, and okay. the, the way that I interpreted it at the time was about the dissolution of a romantic relationship. I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure that's what it is. Like I said, I, I'm almost positive. I was uh, projecting. 
<laughs> but I mean, Ed never made any secret about his ambition to be a, a, a big artist. And I, and I know that, you know, he, he was frustrated at least that, that, you know, he didn't have a higher profile and it was something that he was actively chasing after. But, um, you know, I don't think that it, 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 it was, it was more ambition than feeling like he was bitter and cheated. Oh yeah. So. No, you could be uh, frustrated and have ambition and uh, not be bitter. Yeah. Those are different things. So I agree. He, he definitely had his eyes on, on, uh, you know, on trying to trying to, you know, sort of get to a point in his career he never quite reached. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that, that, bitterness was right but i i know that he was he was uh you know in pain about you know sort of personal stuff and that that comes across and and that's why it was hard for me because you know he's a friend and i care about him but um you know i think this was the song that i connected with the least back then but but i i, I like it now i like the arrangement you know i think it's yeah. a nice and that is the uh, flute at the beginning that's the flute you were talking about that's a real flute <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, That's I was awesome. thinking about the flute in Source of Light, which is which is sort of in the breakdown where she trills. But oh, okay. yeah, I mean, or, or I can't tell if it's a natural flute or if it's a Mellotron or something. It right, could be. Right. The <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna like I like thinking that it's a real flute, so I'm gonna think that. All right. So what I was talking about before that it was the '90s. So then it was the '90s. So at least one song has to have a distortion vocals, like distortion on the vocals. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, you just had to. Um, but there's also really cool uh, guitars. Like the guitars are layered very cool on one foot, and and some wawa. That's good. You know, wawa is always hit or miss for me. But there's some intelligent wawa I think going on on this one. Ed, Ed had a technique with the wawa because um, you know if you read like pedal forums, uh, you know people talk about the correct way to to order your pedals. Yeah, <laughs> and you know which bothers me because it's there's no correct way. Of course not. It never sounds cool, but <laughs> You know, people will argue that you have to have your your wah wah pedal in front of your distortion pedals, you know, uh, or else it just becomes a wash. But Ed would always very deliberately put it behind his fuzz pedal, and and it would make this incredibly sort of piercing sound that you hear on this record. And yes, I'm gonna hear Jay Maskus do as well, but uh, and I'm sure that, that Kevin Shields does it. But you know, you hear a lot, and I did it a lot on these records in the '90s too, where it's like when you want it to just go totally over the top. Then you, you know, have your wah pedal fully engaged, you right. know, behind <laughs> both pedals, and it just sounds the same. So, you know, he was great at that. All right, let's listen to a little bit of One Foot. Again, you get that what you were talking about before the not 
perfectness of it. It sounds kind of raw when those drums come in, you know? It's definitely not uh, perfect, uh, but that sort of adds to the charm of it. Yeah, I think that that guitar line, I think that, that I'm not positive about that, but I think it was an Ebo. You know, do you know what an Ebo is? Yes, I do. So I think I think that was a, an Ebo that he was using in, in, in you know, a series of pedals. Um, and then and then yeah, I love the way the vocals processed. You know, it's it's a it's a little psychedelic and disorienting. But yeah, that's that's one of those tracks that you know I'd kind of forgotten. You know, and, and when I went back and revisited the record, it was like, oh yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> that's yeah, because there's a lot of songs. This is the era of the CDs when they would. Uh, we always noticed that at a certain point there started to be more songs on a, an album because they could fit them. That's right. All right, so I'm a sucker for a for a somber rock tune in waltz time. I'm just a, a sucker for waltz time, and I believe this one is. Well, this is this this is my favorite song in the album. That's a great. Is- it's so good. Yeah, the the piano and like I said, the uh, the waltz time. I'm, I'm just a sucker for that. The centerpiece. We'll talk about it, but I love this one. Yep. Let's listen to A plus B equals Y. Such a good, uh, aside from the lyrics, which I really want to get into the lyrics on this one, but just the whole vibe and feel of the song is so great. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here tearing up, you know, literally. I, I, this is so emotional for me. Now, this, how, old, uh, how old is he at this point? He's still in his 20s, right? Uh, late 20s? He was born in 65, so he would have been turning 30. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So late 20s, turning 30. Because I feel like they're very prescient because... I feel like we know so many people that that he's singing about, you know, it feels like, uh, you know, this is such an honest lyric. Um, and by the way, this is the song that I covered on, on the Ed's tribute record. And, and I have permission from, from his, his, uh, his widow to, to put it on my album, which I plan to. Oh, nice. Nice. You know, I really feel like this is a lyric that I wish I'd written, you know, I, 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 it's, it's, it's such a perfect song. Oh, and God, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's telling a story and he's telling a story that's very familiar. And it's like, this is a theme that we've talked about. It's like the, you know, sort of emptiness of, 
you know, of the, the life that he's describing. Searching for life after bar and whatever is left in the jar. Can't believe you're still where you are and still hoping, still hoping. Yeah. I mean, right. wow. Well, the, guy's, the guy's, you know, he's, he's obviously tripping on acid, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, they're, they're staring out the windshield of the van and, um, yeah, there's a couple different verses and one of them is, is, uh, you know, traveling in the van. The other one is sort of, uh, you know, keeping it going after the bar and it's, you know, it's it's a it's a sort of mournful song. It's yes. about the emptiness of that life, and you know, it's it's that searching for life after a bar. It's like Ed was a was a, a late night creature. So the the routine that we had when we were recording this record, and many other times, like my record Vestavia that I made with Ed producing, his routine was uh, you'd start in the studio late afternoon, and you'd you know kind of get something going, and and uh, maybe track a little bit, and then you would pause and you'd have kind of an elaborate dinner and then you'd come back and then you'd really get to work you right know? And you'd <laughs> 12 or one in the morning oh, and God. then you would end up exhausted i'm exhausted just hearing about it <laughs> it was always brian like bowl which was his hang which is uh you know this iconic bar in, in uh, uptown minneapolis so you go to brian like bowl until it closes and then you go back to the house and and uh you know sort of hang out and you know, smoke and drink until, you know, basically dawn, you know, that was the right. routine. And, uh, you know, he did that for years, you know, it was, uh, and, and, you know, there, there's, yeah, there's a real sadness about that. And, and, you know, I mean, that's maybe one of the really beautiful things about Ed's life is that he had, you know, toward the end of his life, had really found a sort of a deep satisfaction and, you know, and kind of turning that around, you know, it's like he, he uh, you know, treated his, his, craft much more professionally and you know he had a, a child so you know he couldn't stay up all night every night it yeah, was kind of yeah, like exactly. you know getting off that that uh that treadmill eventually but you know i feel like that's that's his story that's my story that's kind of everybody's story who's you know spent a large part of the part of their life you know chasing you know the music dream like that you know he's describing it so brilliantly yeah, yeah, he he does, but and 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 just not like I said, not bitter at all, but just very, you know, um, it's just sublime, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's real. Great. Yeah, it's real honest. I feel like this song is about something, but I don't know what it is, and then and it's got this dreamlike feel, and then it just explodes. So uh, mm-hmm. this song baffles me in a way, but let's listen to a little bit of state. I'll play, like I said, later on, I'll play underneath when the song just sort of explodes 
And that's what I appreciate. Another thing I appreciate, even though there are uh, the songs, there there is some poppy, very poppy moments on here. But I like how the songs go wherever the fuck he wants they he wants them to go, and they want to go, and they're not they're not they're not always worried so much about structure or anything. You know, they're just going wherever they're gonna go. I appreciate. Well, that. he he definitely gets a lot out of a straight guitar vocal, you know, because there's a little bit of ambient sound there, but it's basically him playing that arpeggiated riff on the guitar. But he's right. got the sound so, so, you know, processed and in, in in such a cool way that it's just kind of disorienting. Yeah, and yeah, the whole point of it is that you know you you kind of get lulled into this thing and then it just slaps you in the face, you know, um, with the with the you know the coda at the end, which is just massive. And it's about textures, it's about dynamics, you know, this is, I mean, this was definitely an age of extreme dynamic shifts, you know, there's a lot of music that was exploring that, but, you know, it's really extreme for anything, you know. Right. All right, so now we get uh, the closer, a, a nice strummy with more of these, uh, the backups, like the soaring backup vocals. And and I, I really like what they do with the vocals, because the vocals themselves become an effect, I guess they're looping the vocals in it. Mm-hmm. Right? right and and uh it's cool and uh i feel like it's very if if there's a theme to this record uh, do you think there's a, a loose theme on this record i don't know i've never really thought about whether there's a theme i mean i i kind of follow some of the you know i'm able to connect some of the stuff from the songs to to the the, the guy that i knew so well but but um i don't know i mean that's that's fascinating i'd love to know what you think about it well because what they say at the end here he says It'll be like it never happened. Who's to say that it ever happened? I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of closing uh, the whole, you know, sort of because um, there's there, there's something dream uh, vaguely dreamlike about a lot of the record. I feel like so. I feel like yeah, that. the way that I've always, well, we can talk about it after. But the way that I've always thought about this song and this lyric, you know, when I was singing this lyric is, you know, it's it's a, it's the last song in the record, and it's kind of about you know moving on. It's about you know sort of. Uh, his vow to kind of, you know, go forward in his life. That, that, I guess that's what I thought about. Well, let's listen to it and talk about it because uh, I need to be refreshed. Yep, let's listen to a little bit of Letterbox. So it, it can be, I mean, you could see it in a way it is like moving on because you could say, well, it'll be like it never happened. Who's to say that it ever happened? You know, so well, the, uh, lyric, the lyric in the verse is kind of about it's kind of like a paranoid lyric. You know, he's, he's sort of like trying to put the clues together. Right. You know, and, letter um, bomb. Yeah, that's why I, I, I guess that's why it's called letter bomb. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, he's he's like, um, 
I think that the, the person he's addressing is kind of manipulating reality in a way. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I got about it. Cause okay, I, it got, okay. got out of it because I, I sort of, uh, you know, I was, uh, this is one of the ones I sang live. And, oh, okay. Uh, okay. You know, I was kind of trying to impersonate the song and, you know, think about where he was going with it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was, it, it was kind of like, it'll be like, it never happened. It was kind of, you know, moving on from this bullshit. You know? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the way that I felt about it. And, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of this record is, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, like th this is a device that, that I think Noel Gallagher uses a lot where, uh, you know, it's kind of singing, you know, advice to himself, you know, it's like sort of pep talks to himself. You know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> you, not, you, and me, you and I are going to live to forever, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, um, you know, who's he talking about? I mean, this is, you know, it's sort of self-referential, you know, right, and I, right. I think a lot of this is sort of Ed working through stuff in his, in his own head and, you know, kind of finding his way out the other side. And I think a lot of it is really, you know, kind of transcendent and liberating and, there's, if, you know, one of the themes in this record is kind of leaving behind the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the sadness and the, you know, and the frustration and the bullshit, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, the music was, was sort of a purge from that. And I definitely felt that like the process of making the record was, was incredibly joyous, you know, and, but it was coming out of a painful certain period in his life. And, uh, you know, so it was about sort of, uh, transcending you know difficult times through music which which is is you know one of the incredible sort of magical powers that music has when it's great yeah yeah that's great and i'm really yeah i'm, I'm glad you brought this record i hope a lot of people are going to discover it because i i already know it's a it's a fantastic record it's amazing so people are, I, I know people that uh, like this show are going to discover it who haven't heard it and are going to love it uh as much as you love it as much as i now love it and uh yeah that's great john you know i i appreciate you because i know you're i'm jealous of you because i feel like you get to you still have the sense of joy and music and wonderment and you're always interested in what's next and you're you're interested in what's next and i feel like i'm just you know depressed most of the time and i'm thinking ah, everything sucks <laughs> i try and fight i feel like i have to fight against it but i feel like you're you know following you on twitter and everything i it, it like makes me feel good about music because you actually give me some hope that maybe there is hope because <laughs> well, there is music has been incredibly important in my life and and uh you know and and i know that when we were making all this music back then when it was what we got to do for a living um you know there was a sense of oh this is going to be important someday people are going to remember this this is going to bring people joy or whatever and you know now that ed's gone and, and left us way too early and in such a such a heartbreaking way it's like this is you know other than the memories that we all share of him the people that knew him the people's lives he touched you know this is what we have is is all this incredible music that that he he left and uh you know i feel very sort of compelled to share it maybe even more than my own music because i'm still here you know? right exactly no no but uh, what a great gift it is too that someone that you're so close with a friend i mean it's sad but that you get to go and celebrate his music and and play it uh for people as a celebration i mean that's great i mean that's uh, i mean it's the nature of uh music uh, the music business everything that a lot of people die younger than they should i mean i think you know uh, other uh, other occupations people live you know well into their their 80s their 90s but uh, how many musicians 
you know, friends of yours are not around anymore. And I mean, I have tons of them. It's heartbreaking. It really is. And and, I think that, that one of the soapboxes that I stand on as often as possible is, is about, you know, the connection between creative people and mental health. And, you know, the fact that it's, you know, addiction is very prevalent and, and just, you know, depression, anxiety, all these things that afflict creative people. And, it's, it's something that, that it, it's heartbreaking how many we lost early. I mean, it's, you know, you can't really connect Ed's passing to his lifestyle. He, he got cancer. No, was, no, that's what, well, his, his, someone like him is extra heartbreaking because he, you know, he, uh, my friend, I mean, my best friend, Dan Hosker got hit by a car, you know, coming home from a gig. And that's like someone mm-hmm. that's just taken, uh, you know, just taken like that, young, not not from the, you know, they they're they're already got on the other side of whatever uh, you know problems they had, and they're just enjoying their life and making music, and resigning themselves, you know, to because even you know even me, uh, like I'll listen to stuff, you know, uh, records I did that no one no one listened to, no one bought, but I still get to listen to it, and I have fond memories now. I have fond memories of making it. And I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I feel really blessed that I got to, uh, you know, make music with other people that I'm still friends with. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of it. And that's great, you know. So uh, that's, you know, that, at the end of the day, that's, that, that's what you want, right? Well, it was hard for me to imagine um, back when I was, you know, living that every day, what my life would be like after that. Or if oh, there right. was any yeah. right. life after that you know it was it was uh something i didn't like to think about it was an unpleasant thought to think like oh (laughs) there may be a time in my life when i don't get to do this all the time right and and now i'm there you know now i now i have a family and i have you know work that i do that's that's not about my music you know thankfully it's about other people's music yes but uh you know i've kept music central in my life but you know i think it's something to celebrate and uh you know, if if you ever, if you're anybody, and this would be most of the people listening to this podcast, if you're somebody for whom music has been central to your life and has meant something to you, you should never, never let that die. You know, you should you should stoke that. You know, it's like it's it's heartbreaking to me that people get to a certain age and they stop discovering music because discovering new music that you connect with emotionally and that that you know, resonates with your own story is, is one of the great gifts, you know, and it is. I get comfort food. I get, you know, hearing familiarity and having that, you know, bring back things from your past, but it's like great musicians make this music to share with people, to give them perspective on their own lives and to, you know, to create uh, uh, connections and, and we should avail ourselves to that. It's incredibly magical. I think. There you go. All right. Well, that's a great way to end this uh, episode. John, once again, it's always great having you on. Uh, don't forget, uh, guys, if you want to uh, pre-order the uh, Blake Babies release, it's uh, alr-music.com. And uh, Polera, you can go to the Bandcamp. Uh, it's Polera, M-P-L-S, dot Bandcamp.com. I'm assuming his family, I'm hoping his family gets uh, something from the Bandcamp. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, That's great. You know, they, they're, they're fine. They don't depend on it, but, but yeah. it is nice and... You know, actually runs his his, his uh, studio with help, and and you know has their own career. So oh, that's it's, great. You know, they're despite the loss, they're they're they they're doing fine. But um, yes, it, it's it definitely goes directly to to Ed's family. Awesome. And uh, Rob, I really appreciate you doing this. You know, this is humoring me here because this means a whole lot to me. And you know. <laughs> I was not humoring you, I promise. All right, don't forget, uh, everyone, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at That Record Got Me High. 
Also, that Facebook group got me eyes a lot of fun. You can see me post uh, dumb memes that I make up, uh, that I make fun of uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mostly, that's what I do. Uh, on Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Most importantly, uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron of the show. I'd really appreciate it. John, once again, so great having you on again. Uh, hopefully we'll see each other again in person one of these days. One of these yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you and I, I admire what you do. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. All right, we'll see you guys next week. We're out of here. Mm-hmm.